Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 63 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I think this is 63, isn't it? Are we past 63? Who knows? Whatever it is. Glad you're here. Welcome aboard. We've got a we've got a lot to talk about. There is a lot going on in the world of sports. Um, college football, the NFL, so much uh, going on. We're going to talk about all of it. We're going to talk to Dr. Sayed Tabatabai. He is going to join us in, in uh, seven months almost to the day of the last time he joined us. An update on coronavirus, what's happening with that, what we can expect as we head into the winter, what it means for sports and all that. That will be in the second half of this podcast. Hope you stick around to listen to it. My name is Audie Elmore. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Audie Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. And um, what else we got on the show for you? Let me get this out of the way real quick because I I have a friend, a good close personal friend. His name's Alex Thompson. And Alex Thompson, every time he sees me, every time we are in the company of one another, he likes to remind me that he called it when Tom Brady threw a pick six against the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round playoffs last January. He likes to remind me that he called it and that he has yet to receive any sort of amount of attention or recognition or shout out in any way, shape, or form on the Ball Don't Lie podcast for his incredible ability to call such an event. So, Alex, this is for you. Alex called Tom Brady's pick six in the AFC divisional round game that, that the Patriots lost to the, to the Tennessee Titans in January. Alex called it, and uh, Tom Brady threw the interception. It was returned to the house, and that seemingly ended his career with the New England Patriots. So, Alex, good job on that. Also, by the way, download the Thrive Fantasy app. Download it. Use promo code Audi when you sign up, A-U-T-Y. Download or deposit $20. They'll deposit $20. Instantly match anything you do up to $20, past $20, I should say. Minimum $20. You know what I mean. You've heard it uh, several times before. Download Thrive, play Daily Fantasy, and hashtag prop up this week in the NFL. I think there's also some golf uh, this weekend with the Masters, so you might want to be uh, interested in that as well. On today's show, going to be answering your Instagram questions. been a while since I've done that. Got a, quite a few of them. Looking forward to that. I'm going to introduce a segment called Easy Reads. Easy Reads. We're going to do Easy Reads. I'm just going to get tell you two things you should read this week that I read. They're, they're going to be out on my Twitter account. You can go check those out for, uh, for quick access. And here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you about Easy Reads, and then I'm going to go to the break. And then so while you're listening to the wonderful ad, that's when you go pull up those things to read so you, so you know to have them. So that's what we're going to do this week, and we'll talk about that as well. The NFL is now officially past the halfway point in their season, and there have been no canceled games because of coronavirus. I think the NFL deserves a round of applause for that. Now, that's not to say that there aren't COVID cases because they seem to be everywhere within the league. The Bengals have five players on the COVID list. The Steelers have a certain number of players. There are positive tests on coaching staffs in Philadelphia and Indianapolis and so on and so forth. There are teams with COVID positive personnel all over the league. But the league seems to have gotten really good at contact tracing, close contact specifically, and continuing that level of tiered employees with the the players being the highest tiered, players and coaches being the highest tiered, and they can't come close with anyone on the front office side or whatever it may be. So obviously that's that's a good thing that they're able to 
I don't want to say perfect it because it's it's not a perfect science by any means, but they're doing enough to get through to this point at no games being canceled. Now, the NFL has been criticized because they have shifted the season around quite a bit. They have moved some games and some bye weeks and all that stuff, and understandably so. Um, but the reason that they're getting criticized is because they've kind of reached the point of, okay, well, if you have a COVID positive test early in the week and you have to, you know, you have a game coming up, you're going to have to play it. And whoever is in close contact, contact tracing, whatever it may be, those players have to sit out and you have to play your game anyways. Now that is kind of frustrating for a team like the San Francisco 49ers who are decimated with injuries to begin with. And then they have a couple of guys come down with COVID, which then turns into seven or eight guys that are close contacts and contact tracing from COVID. And then all those people have to sit out. No, by the way, you're playing on a short week against the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. The league basically said tough luck, especially for a primetime game. They're not going to move. So the league basically said tough luck. And it's kind of the idea is that it's going to be like that moving forward because they think they only have like a few more buys they can work with, like another week or two they can work with with their schedule, and they don't want to push anything back further than they have to. So the league is is kind of bullying its way through this a little bit. That's probably not the right right word, but they're going to push their way through uh, despite these positive tests because they just have very little wiggle room. So you do what you got to do. By the way, the NFL, a couple of things that came into effect on Tuesday. The league voted and approved a contingency plan that would expand the NFL playoffs to 16 teams. And if you're counting at home, uh, that's 32, 32 teams in the league. 16 is half of that. So that would be half the team in the league making the playoffs. I don't like this idea on the surface as like a general idea, but because it's 2020 and to be consistent with my previous comments about other leagues, I don't have any problem with it um, happening if it comes to it. So like I said, it's a contingency plan. If games get canceled, teams get moved, blah, 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 whatever it might be, they will have 16 teams. They'll add a team in each conference, whatever it may be, uh, so that they can get the NFL playoffs off with as many teams as they can and and hopefully not causing a team to miss the playoffs because of uh, COVID or something that was essentially out of their control. So the NFL, pretty interesting in that regard uh, with what's coming to that. Um, what else, what else, what else? They also announced that, uh, they're going to be rewarding teams that develop a minority coach or GM personnel executive with draft picks. The the NFL, one of their biggest issues right now, obviously race and, and race relations within the league has been a hot button topic in recent years, and it continues to be so. And, And one of their biggest black eyes is that they don't have very many african-american or minority head coaches in the nfl and that's coming from a league that's dominated by african-american players minority players and and it just doesn't make all that much sense so the league is doing whatever they can to expand that amount of people i think you now have to interview at least two minority candidates for head coaching positions uh used to be you had to interview at least one i think they're going to up that to two now so it's looking up and they're doing what they can. I don't know exactly how this is going to work and how it will be viewed within those that are directly involved and in, in affected by this, but it is an interesting uh, little nugget that the, the league has added on. 
Let's uh, move forward into college football. I'm kind of going into overdrive here, going kind of quickly, because uh, there is a lot to get to. And and first and foremost, let's just say right off the top, Michigan sucks. They're terrible. They're an embarrassment to the Big Ten. We'll get into the Big Ten a little bit later on when we answer your Instagram questions. But the AP Top 25 came out on Sunday, and there has been some shuffling because Notre Dame took down number one Clemson over the weekend. Your new number one team in the country is Alabama. Notre Dame is two, Ohio State three. Fourth is Clemson. Fifth is Texas A&M. Sixth is Florida. Seventh is Cincinnati. Eighth is BYU. Nine is Miami, Florida. And ten is Indiana. So a couple of those teams have already been directly affected for this weekend. Alabama and LSU has been postponed because of an insane amount of COVID positive tests, I believe, in the LSU program. Texas A&M and Tennessee, that has been postponed because of COVID positive uh, players and, and personnel. Uh, several, several tests, I believe, in, in combined with, with both of those games. Obviously, four teams, that's a lot of personnel. But they have all been uh, postponed. Not sure. I didn't look, uh, but I know they've been postponed. Not sure if and when they're going to play those games again. But let's look at the Big Ten. What exactly has happened to the Big Ten? Michigan sucks. Indiana apparently is one of the best teams in the country. They're now in the top ten. They beat Michigan for the first time since 1987 over the weekend, and it wasn't necessarily close. So all of a sudden, Michigan's doing what Michigan does, where they are uh, hyped up in the preseason and then very bad during the regular season. You know, drink if you've heard that one before. Indiana all of a sudden is good for the first time in a long time. Penn State got rocked by Maryland over the weekend. Penn State, uh, a pretender, I guess. I, I don't know any other way to describe it. What a disappointing start to the season for the Big Ten. And on top of all of that, Ohio State, who is the, the bell cow undisputed leader of the Big Ten and the third-ranked team in the country, they have yet to put together a convincing win for me. You might be saying, what are you talking about? They put up 50 points a game. They're not close in any of these games, yada, yada, yada. Listen, I know this Ohio State football team. I don't know it the best of anybody in the world. I don't pretend to. But I know when they're not good. I don't think they're a good football team right now. Now, we're three games into the season. I get that. They're all conference games. I get that. Totally understand it. But they are totally one-dimensional, Ohio State is. They throw the football, and that's it. They have very little success running the football. I have serious doubts about their secondary right now. Sean Wade continues to look very bad. They they are inexperienced, I guess, in the secondary. I don't know other than Sean Wade. It, it, their linebackers have looked okay. Their defensive line is is just okay. Like They haven't played anybody really all that good, as we see now that Penn State is terrible. So I, I just... I wonder if they can actually do anything and make any noise with Justin Fields being the only thing they have. They've got some things to figure out. Ryan Day and that coaching staff has have some things to figure out before they get into the meat and potatoes of their schedule. And I think they've got Maryland this week, and then all of a sudden you've got potentially a top-10 matchup with Indiana the week after. So they're going to have to figure it out right now. I understand that Indiana is new to this, and, and we still have questions about them. That's fine. But any game, any time, any place, anything can happen. And Ohio State's got to figure it out right now because they won't last long going into the winter if they can only throw the football, period, point blank. Justin Fields is spectacular, and he might even be the best quarterback in the history of Ohio State. He's got more total touchdowns this year than incompletions, which is, uh, which is pretty impressive. And he, he is now moved into the, the – the front runner of the Heisman race, which is also extremely impressive. So good for him. But um, 
Ohio State's got some serious issues that uh, that they need to work out. Wisconsin, by the way, there was another team. They're still ranked 13th. They haven't played like hardly at all. I think they played one game. They're supposed to play Michigan this week. If they don't play Michigan this week, they're not eligible for the Big Ten championship game. So they're doing everything in their power, in their power to try to figure out how to get this underway and get their season going. So that's everything about college football. NBA news, the NBA is returning on December 22nd. They will play a 72-game season. Free agency begins on November 20th at 12.01 a.m. The draft is November the 18th. This will be the shortest time in between seasons for a major professional sports league in the history of major professional sports in the United States. Nobody ever has had fewer times between the end of their season and the start of their regular season than the NBA will this year as uh, the COVID times continue. So let's get to last two segments or last two parts of, uh, of the first part of this episode, which are reading your Instagram questions and then telling you about easy reads. So let's, uh, let's go to Instagram. Let's dial it up. What do you guys have here? What do you got for me? First one here is the AAC still irrelevant. Why is the big 10 such an embarrassment? Uh, I don't know that the AAC, I don't know that there's any conference that's entirely irrelevant this year, other than maybe the PAC 12, the AAC, I don't know that they have all that many good teams. They've got Cincinnati, who is a legitimate national championship contender. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that. Other than that, they have all that much. To be quite honest with you, Tulsa's okay. SMU has has kind of fallen off a little bit. Houston can put up some points, um, but they're they're not that all that much better. I I would put them honestly right there with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten at the moment. I mean, one really good team. That's it. Uh, are they still irrelevant? I think overall on a national stage, yes, they are. Um, they might not be to you. They might not be to me. But on a national stage, yes, they're still irrelevant. Um, a lot of college football. Will Jim Harbaugh survive this season at TTUN? Which, uh, if those of you that don't know, it stands for that school up north or that team up north. Uh, I think he survives this season, and I think he gets one more season. If he cannot do anything in 2021, they have to move on. The The question for a lot of people up in Ann Arbor has been, you know, if not him, then who? And that's a that's a totally fair question. I, I get that 100%. But you've got to start making some strides. These are his kids. This is his team. They have everything they need to be successful, and they just haven't been. He's been an embarrassment to the program in a lot of ways. And, you know, sometimes you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And, and Jim Harbaugh has, has never experienced heroism uh, really at Michigan. And it's, it's, uh, it's quite sad for him. It's great for the rest of us. Do you think my Bearcats have a shot at the college football playoff or will a one-loss Power 5 get in over them? It depends who the one-loss Power 5 is. If it's a Clemson, um, then yes. If it's, if it's a Notre Dame, then probably yes. It just kind of depends. I, I, this whole thing is a crapshoot. Do they have a chance at the college football playoff? Yes, they do. I was kind of surprised that they fell in the rankings this week. They went back from six to seven. I expected them to move up, especially after a loss uh, from the teams in front of them, but they didn't. And, and I think that is, I think that kind of speaks to how the AAC is viewed nationally. Again, coming back to like the irrelevant comment that, that I've made in the past, I just don't know that there's that much respect for the AAC right now. And 
whether or not you think that's fair is beside the point. That's just the fact of the matter. And so I don't know that they are, um, I, I don't know that, that they're, uh, I don't know that they would get in. I, they, they have to keep destroying people. Like they have to keep making every game not close and kind of cruising through it and playing good defense. But I think with a defense like Cincinnati has, they can absolutely, uh, absolutely stay in with uh, with just about anybody. Uh, moving on, who is winning the Masters? Good question. The Masters is this week. I'm so excited. November in Augusta. It's going to rain a lot, unfortunately, but uh, we are going to have the Masters. Um, I want to say Tiger, but Tiger's played terrible all year long in and out of the pandemic. I'm going to go off the board here. Uh, sort of off the board. I'm going to go Rory McIlroy uh, because 2020 is crazy. Rory has just not been able to get the Masters uh, off of his back. He has never won it. He's he's won a few uh, majors in the past. Uh, I like Rory McIlroy. I think Rory wins the Masters uh, this week um, in Augusta. Bad conditions reminding him of his homeland. Rory McIlroy wins the Masters. Um, is Chipotle still life? Yes, it is. It always has been. It always will be. Um, where does Justin Fields fall in your top five Heisman hopefuls? Well, I just read today that um, <laughs> I'm reading another question that I just saw. Uh, <laughs> I just read today that Justin Fields is now the odds on favorite to win after Trevor Lawrence has missed a couple of games. Mac Jones in Alabama, obviously their game gets canceled. Yada, yada, yada. Justin Fields has been unbelievable with the way he's been able to complete passes. Um, and really put Ohio State on his on his back. I think he I think that's fair to say he's the favorite. Um, right there with him, obviously, you still have Trevor Lawrence. I think Travis Etienne is a sneaky good um, part of that conversation, especially if they go on a run late in the year, and especially if Lawrence is out for whatever reason. Um, I don't think Ian Book is in that conversation. I quite honestly, I think Ian Book is terrible. Um, Mac Jones, I haven't seen enough of to say, but if Alabama's in the national championship game and their quarterback continues to do what he does, he's absolutely in the conversation. That's just part of the ta- the territory with uh, with being at Alabama. So I don't really have a top five for you. I think it's Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and they're in a league of their own. Everyone else after that is uh, is a little bit different. Um, you are the GM with the number one pick in the movie Football Players Draft. In the movie football players is that a, is that a movie? Can I look that up real quick? What? You are the GM with the number one pick in the movie football players draft. Who you got? I don't know what that means. Movie football. <laughs> hold on, hold on. This is going to be a, a weird little stop set here. Hold on. Okay, so I totally misunderstood the question. He's talking about like fictional football players in movies. Who would I pick as the number one pick? That's a good, good, good question. I'm reminded of the guy from uh, whatever guy Nelly played in The Longest Yard. He was spectacular. Um, Paul Crew, The Longest Yard also. I'm trying to think. What else? Let me let me fire up some fictional movie characters here. This is great, great stuff to listen to. And there's a picture of Jamie Foxx when I open this. There's Jamie Foxx photoshopped into an Andy Dalton jersey. I don't know what I'm looking at right now. Oh, gosh. Shane Falco. Bobby Boucher. Now, oh, my gosh. Vontae Mack, no matter what. R.I.P. Um, wow. Ronnie Sunshine Bass. Forrest Gump. 
<laughs> this is hilarious. This is a, this is an actual mock draft here. Uh, Julius Campbell. Oh my gosh, this is funny. Um, <laughs> I forgot about some of these dudes. I'm gonna go with. Uh, oh no, it's fun to say Ron, Sunshine Ronnie Bass. He was spectacular. Um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna go with uh, give me Julius Campbell Edge out of uh, Remember the Titans. He is uh, I have no idea. Shane Falco, I guess. If I'm the quarterback, if I, if I need a quarterback, if I'm building a team around a quarterback, give me Shane Falco of the replacements. I'm sorry, I butchered this answer so badly. Um, can you confirm that Manchester United is no longer a big club? Thank you. Wow, this is uh, shots fired here um, from the state of Tennessee. That's uh, that's hard to that's hard to listen to, but uh, they have become quite irrelevant in the circles of many, and uh, I can't blame the people for feeling that way. Manchester United, it's a uh, long road to hoe at the moment for them, but uh, they're still a big club. They're still the best in Manchester, so don't worry about that. Uh, teams that aren't in the playoffs now, but could be by the end of the year. I'm assuming you're talking about the NFL. Um, I think the bolt. I, I I think the Cleveland Browns are in that conversation. I think the Indianapolis Colts are absolutely in that conversation. Um, I think right now, it's it's in the AFC. Those are the only two that I could see that aren't in the playoffs right now are Cleveland and Indianapolis. Those are the only two that I could see. Uh, in the NFC, I wouldn't be surprised at all if San Francisco, if they got healthy, if they kind of went on a run. Minnesota is playing some much better football. If they can get better quarterback play out of Kirk Cousins, I could see that happening. I don't see the Chicago Bears as legitimate contenders in the NFC. I don't. I, I think that they are pretenders in every sense of the word. Um, Tampa, I don't know about – Tampa's in the playoffs right now, but I don't know about them moving forward. They have just looked very, very bad in recent weeks. So I guess my answer there would be the Browns and the Colts, the Colts more so than the Browns, just because I th I like Indianapolis's defense better. And they've got, I think uh, a run game at the moment, it's running back by committee, but it's very effective. And uh, the Browns have still tried to figure that out without uh, Nick Chubb, who is coming back ironically this week, um, San Francisco and Minnesota, I guess the only ones really that I could see in the NFC, everybody else is pretty terrible, but, even then, I think it might not end up much different than how it currently is. So uh, that is your Instagram questions. Thank you so much for uh, giving me some questions. Those were good. That was a good round of questions. Appreciate it. You can follow me at Audie Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E on Instagram and uh, be a part of that the next time that I ask. It is time for Easy Reads. Boom, 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 boom. There's supposed to be a sound bite there. I didn't have time to do it. Uh, so Easy Reads is coming to you right now. Two short, Two stories I read this week that you absolutely should read too. The first is from Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. Listen, now you're saying, oh, God, it's The Athletic. I don't have a subscription. I don't want to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. It's like $2 a month. It's worth it. The Athletic is spectacular. You cannot go wrong with The Athletic. Buy it, download it, subscribe, whatever you got to do. The Athletic is spectacular. He wrote a piece this week called Joe Burrow's Best. Bengals coaches detail their favorites from his first half. Um it's really, really good. They go into a lot of detail about concepts, about plays, about what Burrow did well, what he didn't do well, and how he has grown through the first eight games of the season. And it's really, really impressive. You hear from Darren Simmons, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher, 
uh, Brad Craigthorpe, all these people within the Bengals organization that work directly with Burrow and even hear from Burrow himself uh, about his best plays of the first half. It's very, very impressive and a great read uh, from Paul Daner Jr., who I am uh, proud to say I've worked with quite a bit in Cincinnati. Uh, the second is not an article, but it's actually a tweet thread. It's by a man named Eric Erickson, who is a radio host, a blogger, a political commentator. Uh, he wrote a, a tweet thread uh, about Donald Trump, about the election fraud and, and what you need to know about it. I, I say election fraud as if it's existing. Again, there's still no evidence of that. But um, it's a really, really interesting dive into what it means um, where we're going and, and what to expect with this. It's uh, E.W. Erickson on Twitter, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. So at E.W. Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. I'll tweet both of these out um, on Wednesday morning, so they will be on my Twitter feed fresh for you to go check out if you're interested. Uh, it's just worth your time. It's definitely worth your time, the Twitter feed and the the Twitter thread and the the piece about Joe Burrow and uh, and his best plays from the first half of the season. So. That being said, that is the first half of this episode. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be the longest episode ever. Coming up after the break, Dr. Sayed Tabatabai on coronavirus, what that means moving forward as we go into the winter with sports and everything else alike. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Joining me now on the Ball Don't Lie podcast, one of our very few recurring guests on this program. He joined me seven months and two days ago to talk about the impending coronavirus and as it had just gotten to the United States. And uh, here we are seven months later. Everything about our world has changed, but this man is still one of my favorite human beings, and I'm happy to have him back on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Sayed Tabatabai. Dr. T, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you, Adi. And, boy, you really nailed my last name there. That's pretty, uh, pretty darn good. I've been working on it. You know, I listened back to... <laughs> Our previous conversation, and I, I got it wrong on several occasions. <laughs> so I said, "All right, I'm going to really work hard and get uh, Tabitha to buy." So, the last time we spoke, coronavirus had just reached the United States, and we still didn't entirely know what to expect. And I think, even to a point now, we don't know what to expect as we go into the winter. But over the last several months. What has been your biggest takeaway? What have you learned, I guess, more than anything, not only about the virus, but about our ongoing situation that uh, that you think back on where we were seven months ago? Well, um, you know, that's a that's a simple question on the surface, Adi, but that's a that's I think the answer is on multiple levels. Honestly, what I've learned is, has been really depressing. I mean, if you had asked me. I think you did ask me back in March, and, and I was really concerned about it. Um, then the number of people that have died, and the response, and the lack of coordination, and and uh, you know, kind of the just the numbers we're seeing are staggering. If, if you had told me uh, the the mortality data, we would have you know close to a quarter of a million Americans dead from this. I would have thought that would be a worst, worst, worst case kind of thing, but. Right. Uh, you know, um, what I've learned uh, is that uh, we as a society, I don't think we're at the point where, you know, we can uh, um, uh, handle one of these things without a, without a coordinated response from the top down. I think leadership failed us on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. 
I think people on the whole, we just did not. Uh, initially, with the lockdowns, I think we did well, but we didn't really accomplish anything during them. We didn't establish a testing right. and tracking kind of thing. We didn't establish a, a good chain of PPE. We didn't really have a plan. And I think that's really what's kind of rippled through this entire pandemic in America as we've sort of been shooting from the hip and different ways and different people have had different responses and different outcomes. But uh, it's really been pretty, pretty tragic. I think there's, I don't really think there's any way you can look back on, on COVID to this point and say that it's been a success on any level, our response. I mean, compared to the other countries in the world, compared to uh, how things could have gone, it's, it's been, it's been a disappointment. It's been a tragedy, to be honest with you. And I think heading into the winter now, uh, I think that this tragedy is only going to deepen. Unfortunately, the way the data looks, uh, fortunately, you know, the good news with the potential vaccine, but uh, the way the data looks in terms of hospitalizations, uh, I think we're gearing up for a brutal winter. See, now, now my question, my follow-up question was going to be, um, what have we done well? Like, what are some positives to take from our response, oh, if, well, if, if think- there's any? Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, medically, if there's a positive, I think it's that we're starting to get a little better at treating COVID in terms of uh, uh, having some handle on on things to do and what not to do. Obviously, we don't have a cure, but I think with uh, using uh, dexamethasone and using kind of some techniques which we're refining in the ICU settings, we've gotten a little bit better at it. I think our mortality levels have to come down. Uh, from when they were earlier on in the in the pandemic, mm-hmm. but uh, they're still pretty high. And I, I think the main concern for us now is the system overload concern. Um, but to answer your question, I think I think we have gotten a little better at treating COVID. But uh, and I think society as a whole has sort of changed. You know, I think there have been changes sure. in society which may be um, maybe more permanent than COVID. I think with the increasing use of uh, tele teleconferencing and you know, maybe that's a positive in the way we were able to adapt somehow. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to see the, the silver lining, honestly. When we spoke before, there were had just reached over 100,000 worldwide cases. We're currently getting about that every single day in the United States. What do you attribute the, the spike that we're in? Because, like you said, other countries seem to be maybe not having it under control, but seemingly are in much better shape than we are in the United States. What is what is the cause for us? What is it about us that's making it so difficult? Well, that's a great question. And, and uh, you know, I think the answer to that question, you have to dig a little deeper into, you know, what makes our society fundamentally different from other societies. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, the coronavirus, there's nothing... Um, you know, there's nothing markedly new about this virus in terms of containment or, epi- you know, uh, uh, epidemiologically or sure. in terms of compared to influenza, for example. I mean, the, the basic fundamentals are still the same. You wash your hands, you uh, wear a mask, you socially distance. Um, you know, when you had influenza in, in the hospital in the past, you wore a mask and, you know, that kind of thing. So right. it's not like there's anything radically new. It's just we haven't been able to adhere to it. I think uh, people whether it's a rise of this anti-science movement or, you know, other countries are a lot more stringent in terms of the way they handle things. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, you're sick, stay at home for 14 days, um, don't go out, you know, just kind of watch what you do versus, okay, you're sick, there's going to be uh, military guys enforcing a quarantine Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to physically be able to get out. That that kind of level of... uh, kind of commitment to the, the, the kind of isolation. I, I think that 
The problem is if you have one portion of your population that's adhering to everything and one portion that's not, that's not good enough because right. the portion that's not is going to keep perpetuating it. And unfortunately, the growth is exponential, right, because it, it's one – you get keep getting these super spreader events. And I think that's been what's been kind of unique about our country as compared to other countries is we've had these massive rallies. We've had uh, um, you know large groups of people congregating in, in different mm-hmm. places. And uh, – um, you've had uh, bars, you know, the bars and the restaurants and weddings. And it's just like people just don't get the message that they're playing Russian roulette every time they do something like that. And it, it's interesting because COVID has also asked us to be selfless, right? Right. Um, and that, that is exactly things, what we are not. As Our, our culture exactly. in general is, is not a collectivist culture like most, you know, not other, not all, but most other countries. We're just not, we're not that type of, of people. Exactly. You know, you tell someone to do something because it's going to save someone else's life um, or it makes someone else do so better, and they'll they'll never notice any benefit to themselves. Most right. people like to think that, yeah, I do that. But then when you get down and look at the nitty-gritty of the choices people make, uh, people seem to be totally okay risking other people's lives, and that's that's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that it is still at the level that it's at. For those that might not entirely understand – Kind of the overarching and, and you know creeping up behind us this whole time has been winter and long since the beginning people have said we we got to make some significant progress by winter because winter is is going to be very bad. Why why explain to people why winter specifically is really detrimental to us when it comes to this virus? So historically, you look back at, at other pandemics, and like for for example, influenza um, uh, around around World War One, and and uh, the and look at just flu season in general. Winter tends to be the time that these respiratory viruses tend to uh, uh, spike, and and part of it is people are indoors more, um, they're outdoors less. You get more kind of close range transmission. People are a little more uh, immunosuppressed. It's cold out, you know. Um, it, it, just in general, the cyclical nature of these viruses, it tends to be winter when things flare up. And uh, anytime you have coexisting infections that are kind of overlapping, it's a setup for disaster. So if you have the flu season gearing up and you have COVID in full full uh, roar, you know that's that's why winter has always been the worry because uh, we know that we, we do have a flu season every year in this country. Sure. You know this, uh, and then you piggyback that on onto uh, this terrible COVID pandemic, and it, it was never going to be easy. That was always going to be the toughest part. And the hope was that you would have COVID under some form of control going into the winter so you could at least uh, manage it. But unfortunately, it's the opposite. I mean, by every measure, COVID is roaring out of control control right now, heading into what's going to be the, uh, you know, historically, uh, typically the season where the healthcare system is under the greatest strain, right? So um, I, I wanted to, to ask about the healthcare system because seven months ago when we talked, the, the biggest concerns were, and they they still are to an extent, but the biggest one was um, log jamming the healthcare system and getting the appropriate amount of, of PPE. I think we've got the PPE thing taken care of for the most part, I would assume. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing better on the PPE. I, I don't think we're, we're where we ideally want to be, but we okay. are doing better. And so are we at any point or, or have we made progress in terms of in these healthcare facilities treating these people are we are we better now than we were seven months ago are we about the same 
is it still going to be so much of a challenge that that it's really just uh, I don't I don't even know the word for it. But where are we at in terms of of at these healthcare facilities and preventing log jams when it comes to treating it? Sure, sure. So I can speak for you know another thing of this of this COVID is it's been so regional, right? Sure. Uh, while some people have had no cases going on, then in two states away from them, they've had massive you know hotspots. So. Uh, when I when I speak, the caveat is I'm kind of speaking to what I'm seeing here locally in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm also I'm not a I'm not an infectious disease doc, so that's the other big caveat to this whole conversation. But um, in you know the the concern is still there on a system standpoint because um, the two things one is that uh, you're, you're still going to get that massive surge of patients, and then you know, then it's the same kind of space crunch, and they're all so sick. So you're looking at ventilators, you're looking at ICU beds. But the other flip side of this is as it rips through the population, healthcare workers are part of that population. Yeah. And um, as more as you get down more and more nurses and doctors, that sort of exacerbates the problem. Another big part of this problem is kind of, you know, overload, healthcare worker fatigue, burnout, that kind of thing that we talk about. Um, so I think from a capacity standpoint, we're still facing the same problems. I think we've shown that we have the ability to ramp up capacity. But it can still be exceeded, and that's kind of you know what, what we saw mm-hmm. south of us in San Antonio and and uh, um, in El Paso, you know, when they were they were having to open their convention center to take patients and so on. So um, I think the healthcare system is still kind of in a precarious place right now because what we saw the last time is once the once the you know the bomb goes off, so to speak, once that those cases are shooting through the roof and your hospital is filling up you're really in a dangerous place because that capacity goes quickly. And once right. it's gone, trying to catch up and, and, and you know, it's okay if, if one place is, is doing rough and there's a bunch of other places that are fine, but if multiple large urban areas or large population centers are in trouble, um, it, could be, it could be a disaster. So I'm really, really hoping that things start to, to, to cool down. Dr. Syed Tabatabai joining us on the Ball Don't Lie podcast today. I do want to talk about sports just for a moment um, because you have said from the very beginning that uh, sports, specifically about the NFL, you said there's no chance in your mind that the NFL will make it through a season. Here we are. We've reached the halfway point. There have been no games canceled. There are still a a myriad of of positive tests across the NFL. You've had several college games canceled, some college programs being completely wiped out because of it. Where do you see sports? I'm I'm asking you to wear two caps here, your sports fan cap and your doctor cap, but where where do you see sports and and how that looks moving into uh, the winter? Um, I think that uh, I was really pessimistic the last time we talked about sports because just, I just could not see a way that they would be able to prevent the virus from transmitting through large groups. But I was actually kind of impressed with what the NBA was able to accomplish For sure. um, with their system, and I was pretty impressed with uh, the way baseball was handled it. So uh, we'll see. You know, I think maybe now that I might revise my prediction, I think maybe they will be able to get through the year, but. Let's see heading into the winter. You know, I think that um, as a sports fan, um, it's definitely been an interesting season. I think (laughs) I I can't recall a season in recent memory being, you know, this kind of unpredictable with injuries and lack of a preseason, et cetera. Um, But I think football may may potentially stand a chance to get through. Uh, We'll see. Uh, They've gotten farther than honestly I thought they would. 
Um, I, I still just the setup of football, just the huddle, the closeness, the sideline. Right. You know, it, it's it's surprising to me that individual players are getting it, and huge groups of people aren't. Right, it's kind yeah. of interesting. That's what I've. Um, that's what I've. So thought too. yeah, I, I'm really surprised that you know, like one player will get it, and then six people will be isolated. And that's it. Because I feel like they're mm-hmm. exposed to a lot more people than that. But. Uh, it looks like they're they're hanging in there, and they may be able to make it through. We'll see. But uh, this is a part where it's going to get kind of dicey. I will say that is one thing that I have been most impressed by. And obviously, sports are are the toy department of life. But to see the way that that these leagues have been able to find a way to come together to work on safely still putting the sport out there for people to consume, specifically football. The NBA was spectacular. Baseball did pretty good. Um, all those things, I, I have been very impressed by that. Now, a very important question here. Are the Baltimore Ravens fraudulent? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to have my doubts about the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson. He yeah. he was on the cover of Madden. They're still winning football games, but anytime you're on the cover of Madden and you come off a year that you won 14 games, it's hard to, to run it back like that. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I think the Ravens have their problems. I think they obviously have their, their issues. Um, they've, they've moved to address them with getting Yannick uh, Ngakwe and, and trying to bolster that pass rush. And, and uh, But I think their problems really are on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it goes back to losing Marshall Yonda mm-hmm. and the weakness, the injuries they've had losing Ronnie Stanley. That offensive line is struggling, and so much of their offense is predicated on successful first down. Um, you know, typically running the ball. And I think Lamar has been having to throw on, on, on I think he, I, I can't remember the statistics, but he has more second and longs and third and longs by, by a huge amount than he did last year. And honestly, with the pr- increased pressure, I think he's regressed a little bit this year. I think we're seeing a little bit, um, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a downturn. But then again, the second half of this last week's game, he was flawless. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think, he can turn around. I, I don't think that I think the talent level in offense is there. It's just that I'm worried about that own line and how it's rippling through the entire offense. All right, a concerned Baltimore Ravens fan, Doctor Sayed <laughs> Tabatabai. Hey, you can, they're, they're still winning. They're still. I think they're that's in right. shape. I, I don't think it's a lost season, but they, they definitely have their problems. Anything can happen, as I always like to say. Any given Sunday. Um, we can still find you on Twitter at the real Dr. T. You continue to write your incredible stories. They're moving. They're emotional. They're spectacular. You're so good at it. Your Twitter following continues to rise. And uh, tell people what they can expect when they go to your Twitter. Yeah, I think uh, I try to be a positive space on Twitter. I think uh, you know Twitter. There are a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of different. Uh, um, you know, a lot of different uh, uh, themes and, and movements. And I, I, I try and be a voice for positivity. I try and talk about humanism, humanism and medicine. So I think when people come to my, uh, come to my Twitter feed, they'll find, uh, you know, uplifting stories, stories about medicine, medical narratives, and uh, uh, just kind of a generally positive take on, on life. Cannot recommend it enough. Dr. T, thanks so much for stopping by and spending 20 minutes with us here on the Baldwin Live podcast. Always a pleasure, Adi. I appreciate what you're doing, and uh, good luck to you. That's going to do it for me right here on this episode of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in again next week, next Wednesday, as uh, we continue to talk about whatever the heck is going on in the world of sports. Remember, forever and always, Ball Don't Lie. In the meantime, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>